Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. Registration is open for next year's Exiles in Babylon conference. We're going to be talking about the future of the church, theology of disability in the church, multi-ethnic perspectives on American Christianity, and uh, what will certainly be a, a fascinating dialogical debate or conversational debate surrounding uh, Christian approaches to the problem of evil and suffering. All the information is on theologyintheraw.com. So go ahead and go there. We do have some spots, some early bird spots that at the time of recording were still open. They might be gone, but we have 200 early bird spots available at a discounted rate. And then after that, the price goes up. Uh, Again, theologyintheraw.com. Check it out. My guest today is Dr. Gary Brashears, who is a professor of theology at Western Seminary, where he's been since 19... Eighty. This dude has been teaching at seminary um, almost as long as I've been alive. He has an MDiv from Denver Seminary and a PhD in systematic theology from Fuller Theological Seminary. Gary has been a mentor to literally, I want to say thousands, maybe more, um, uh, Christian leaders. This guy is just a, dis- a discipling machine. And he also uh, spoke at last year's Exiles in Babylon Conference in that dialogical debate surrounding the nature of hell with Chris Date, which was very uh, a fascinating conversation. So I want to have Gary on the, to talk about his view of women in church leadership. He holds to a view where uh, women can serve in all offices and positions in the church, including teaching and preaching. The only office that women are are not able to serve in is uh, the office of elder slash overseer. So um, it's an interesting position. There's, a, I think, a growing number of people who hold to this view. And so I wanted him to come on the show and explain it all to us. So that's what we do in this, in this episode. So please welcome to the show for the first time. I can't believe this is the first time Gary's been on the show. But uh, yeah, please welcome to the show. The one and only Dr. Gary Brashears. I know a lot of people already know who you are. Um, those who maybe didn't know who you are uh, that attended the Exiles in Babylon conference now know who you are. You are the one that... I want to say cheated in that debate dialogue with cheated. you showed family <laughs> pictures. You had the crowd like putty in your hands. I did. I was in the green room. All of us back there were like, oh, he, you, you're winning the crowd right now. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, I just want to give a picture of what goes on here. And, That's so yeah, oh, bad. Why should um, I not show family pictures? I got a great family. <laughs> you do have a great family. It was it was very well played. Um, well, I so I I um, yeah, I wanted to have you on to talk about not just you. It's, I mean, the position that you have on women in leadership in the church. It, it's a yeah. it's a view that I'm intrigued with. I've known about for a while from a distance, but and but recently have have been to, you know reading stuff by Blomberg and and other people who seem to have, I don't want to say champion, but have been you know more pretty well known in advocating for this view. Um, so why do I, I, I was going to summarize your view, but I'll, you're here. So I'll just let you, yeah. what, let's, how about you start summarizing what your view is and then we'll dig down into whatever nitty gritty we want to pursue. Well, step one in where I'm at, first of all, I just got to say right up front, I'm egalitarian at heart. I know women, including your wife, Chris, <laughs> uh, and Dina Sternoff at our, to start off at our church who should be on an elder board, the competent, godly, wise, uh, so that's where I'm at in my heart. I'm egalitarian. The reason I'm not, I believe that elders are married men. And the reason I think that is first Timothy three, when it lays out the job description of an elder has a whole bunch of stuff, none of which is controversial, except husband of one wife, which means a married man. It talks about the kids. And many people who don't adopt my view say, well, that's something special in Ephesus, weird Artemis cult, cosmopolitan center, something cultural in Ephesus. The problem is in Titus chapter one, where Paul again lays out the qualifications of the elder, the job description, it's virtually identical, including the phrase husband of one wife, a married man. And that's to Crete. So if I think of things, you know, Ephesus is the cosmopolitan religious center of the world. I know, think Seattle or San Francisco, mm-hmm. the left coast. Crete is Redneckville. Mm. It's urban. It's not urban. It's rural. It's reactive. Cretans are all liars. It says right there in the text. This is not. I mean, they're opposite cultures. Mm. So the idea it's something culturally unique to Ephesus fails because 
Crete has exactly the same thing. Okay. And the other things there in the job description, none of them are controversial. You want a guy who's mature and such. So I think elders, I mean, the biblical view is elders should be husband, one wife, which is a married man. And uh, then from that, the other thing that's kind of central in my view is I don't think elder is the highest job in the church. Elder is the team that guides and guards the life and teaching of the church. But there are other offices, evangelist, prophet, that are just as central to the life of the church as elders. They're just different jobs. And there are no gender restrictions on evangelist or prophet. And those are critically important in the life of the church. We've adopted a hierarchical model too often that says there's a top job. And when women are allowed, allowed there, we correctly say, well, women can't be important in the church. That's just not true. There's lots of vital roles. We can dig down from that, but that's the foundation. Okay. Uh, elders are married men, and that makes all of everybody happy because you mean they got a married? Yep, that's what it says. I can't change the job description. Now, so, th- I mean, so Jesus couldn't be an elder because he's not a that's married correct. man or Paul. Um... That's, well, Paul was married. He's not currently married, but he's an apostle, not an elder. Right. And Jesus is Messiah not elder. You're right. Jesus could not be an elder in a church under that job description. Now, couldn't it, I mean, couldn't I, I mean, a, a husband, a, a one woman man is right. The kind of phrase, could that not mean like for those who are married, they need to be faithful to their wife or maybe they've never been divorced or remarried or whatever. Like it's, it's more the quality of the person. Not That's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says husband and one wife. And that's the second list. The first one is blameless. We ignore that one, too. <laughs> Not and, quarrelsome. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> get that in. With Church would change a lot. Uh, but see, none of those are ifs. All of those are qualifications. And there's a list of about 10 in Ephesus mm-hmm. and about 10 in Crete. And they're pretty much identical. Yeah, yeah. And there's not an if in the bunch. The only if is anybody aspires to the office. They must be, and they list those 10 qualifications. Mm. There's no if there. I know it's argued, but there's no if. Is that it's just a what I said? Is that what other people will say? Like, it's it's oh, not saying, common. it's not an absolute yeah. statement. It's just saying, yeah. It says, um, well, often it's said it's it's not gender specific. But in the phrase, wife of one husband is used for widows later in First Timothy. And that, of course, is gender specific. Right, right, right. Okay. Or what about, I'm just going to try to find any pushback just to, because sure. I, I like to do that. What about like in that culture, if somebody was an elder, m- meaning probably older, like I don't think they would have 25 year old. It specifically says not a new convert. Not yeah. a new convert. Yeah. Um, so in that culture, if somebody was age wise an elder, they would also have been married or at least wi- they could have been widowed, I guess, but um, they, yeah. they would have been in that culture, they would have been married. So it was just kind of assumed, but in another culture where being an older single man is not um, unheard of at all, that that wouldn't apply. Uh, they wouldn't be qualified for being an elder. They could be qualified to be a prophet or evangelist or a number of other things. What's the rationale? Is it is it that idea that they sort of demonstrated that they can manage their household and that's part of why? Like, would that be the rationale for well, saying? Paul doesn't give us the why, and that's the key. We ask, what is the why, and then discuss the why, but he didn't talk about the why. But when I go there, I absolutely committed the idea that you learn a lot about things by being a family man. And the church is a family. That's a primary metaphor for the church. Right. I think you learn a lot about dealing with messy stuff in family, mm-hmm. and you bring those lessons into the family of the church. So, so not just a married man, but a married man who has kids, Right. That's yeah, that would be the normal thing. And kids there are not necessarily bio kids. You can have kids in your household as well. Mm-hmm. But normally it'd be bio kids, because married with kids is is God's normal design. Singleness is a fine thing to be, but it disqualifies you from being an elder. It doesn't disqualify you from being a prophet or evangelist or several other critically important things in the church, but it does disqualify you from being a and, and because you don't have a hierarchical view of these offices, then it's not like there's some top tier thing that's being withheld right. from uh, single correct. people or single people or women. 
Yeah. I, I got to think about that. Oh, yeah. Think about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, there's commands that like, you know, treat your slave well, but that's like, yeah. well, yeah, in, in that context, slavery was embedded in the culture. doesn't mean it was I'm just trying to think of an analogy that we wouldn't. Yeah. Go if with. you have slavery, you got to do what he commands. If you don't have slavery and you just have employees, the principle still applies. Mm-hmm. Treat your employee well. Yeah. And frankly, in a lot of industries today, employees are pretty close to slavery yeah. in the first century. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll, I'll let that one sit for a second then. <laughs> and, and so uh, to be clear, too, when you say elder, it, I th- if I remember correctly, um, t- in Titus 1, uses elder and overseer interchangeably. So do you think these are the the same kind of office overseer elder is basically two terms for the same thing. First Timothy three uses overseer Titus uses elder and and overseer used interchangeably in acts 20. And then first Peter, he uses the term elder. Right. Okay. And some people say overseer is a higher office than elder. And I have trouble believing that. I think that's a later development where a bishop, if you will, oversees a number of congregations. I don't think that's what he's saying for Timothy. But some people made that case that overseer is actually a denominational office, so to speak, and elders in a local church office. I don't think that's correct, but that would be somewhat defensible. Still, the qualifications are the same. So you would say overseer and elder, again, are, are synonyms for the same thing? Right. Okay. Yep. Um, the debate is pastor. Is that the same thing? And yeah. I Can you is. talk about that? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, in, uh, well, my view is that elders must teach. No question. First Timothy is very clear about that. And elders must pastor. First Peter is very clear about that. Mm-hmm. But there are teachers who are not elders. Okay. Nobody debates that. There are teachers, women, for example, and others who are teachers, but not elders. I think there are people who are pastors, that is, shepherd, soul care type people, who are not elders. All elders must be able to teach, but it means Sunday morning. It means teaching could be in small groups or something like that, Mm -hmm. personal mentoring. And I think all elders must pastor as a function, but I think there are teachers and pastors who are not elders. And so teachers are equipping people for the work of ministry and pastors are equipping people work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So in, in women in in your view can be pastors and teachers, just not elders. That's correct. Okay. Then you got the debate about, okay, if they're pastors, what can they do? And again, in my view, and I'll stand for my view, I'm not the only one holds it, but I think it's right. uh, Is that, the question when it comes to things like addressing the entire congregation on a Sunday morning, what we commonly call preaching, uh, the question there is not male-female, from my view. The question is elder-not elder. And in many churches, only elders preach to the congregation. Now, whether you call them elders or what title you use, it, that lead office. Uh, but in other places, other churches, non-elders preach. Well, if non-elders preach on a Sunday morning, there's no reason why a woman couldn't, because the question is elder, not elder, not woman, not elder, okay. not woman. Yeah. So it's not a gender thing. It's an office thing in my judgment. And um, so no women elders or overseers. Women can occupy any other office. They can teach. They can uh, preach. And you're so you're you're basing that base specifically on for Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, not... First Timothy two or right. other passages like it's really the the two elder criteria passages say husband and one wife so that That's rules right. out. The job and, description and, of elder is clear. What about the ra- First Timothy two twelve is a problem passage for me. Yeah 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 yeah. Well, and we'll get to that in a second. The, do you want to expl- do you have like a rationale like or is it kind of like God, if God doesn't explain why then we can't really fill in the gaps or why would a woman a married woman be excluded from being an elder? Uh, God does not explain why, and I'll just leave it to him. Seriously. Okay. The idea that women are more deceivable than men is ridiculous. I hang out with too many deceived men. (laughs) It's historically true. Eve was deceived, but Adam created the greater sin because apparently he sinned with his eyes open. Hmm. Eve was deceived, and that apparently mitigates what she did, I would say. But Adam did not was not deceived. That means he walked in with his eyes open, so he committed the greater sin of the two. So, I mean, Paul does, what's Paul saying there then? Because it does say, you know, women not 
teach exercise authority over men for Adam was created first and man wasn't deceived, but Eve was deceived. Um, That's where people get the idea, right? That the reason why women can't serve as elders is because I can't, it's hard for you to say it because it sounds so ridiculous, but, but, but at least I, there is a verse that could be face value. I mean, it's not like there's, that's not a possible way to read that verse. Um, When we talk about, Problem passages in Paul, of course, that's one of them, is Ephesians 13 and 14, 15. You know, woman be saved by childbearing. Right. I think that passage, it's there's an article in there on childbearing. When you look in the Greek, women will be saved by the childbearing. Hmm. I think that's kicking back to uh, Genesis 3.15. Women are saved through the childbearing, that is the birth of Messiah. Okay. And I'm inclined to think what happened, and inclined to be maybe even too strong a word, that he's speaking there historic. Well, he is speaking historically to, to Adam and Eve, uh, but he apparently is looking at a Genesis three sixteen, where it says that a, a woman shall desire her husband, mm-hmm. and the husband shall rule over the wife, and that's a place where you get a a difference in in the marriage relationship that's the first time it's there it's not back in the creation narrative there's nothing about roles in marriage in the creation narrative that comes in genesis 3 and apparently paul's looking at that but exactly how that applies to elder you know i just don't know except there's some sort of parallel mm-hmm. so uh it seems to me he's using that i mean i'm, I'm guessing he's using it against more the artemis myth okay where that was the equivalent of what we today would be Wiccan, where the wise woman is a source of everything. Okay. And in in that Artemis myth and contemporary Wiccan stuff, it's the wise woman who is a source of creation and the and the one who's uh, the leader. And what he's saying is, well, that may be true in the Artemis myth. It's not true in the Genesis account. So he's drawing on creation again. We're t- we're talking about First Timothy two. Right. 11 to 15. Well, yeah, 13 through 14 here. Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying that he, in a sense, he's going back to the creation narrative to sort of correct some assumptions about the Artemis myth that also had its own kind of creation narrative or whatever. Um, And unfortunately, we only have one side of the telephone conversation here. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so in in 1 Timothy 12, where I don't allow a woman to teach or have authority over man, we get in all these fights about what the word authority means because yeah. it's a unique word. Okay, I want to skip that because it, it becomes a very negative word 300 years later. Was it negative at that point? We just have data to know. But teach, we know what that means. Right. Teach means teach. And the idea that teach means preach on Sunday morning is ridiculous <laughs> in my not even slightly <laughs> humble opinion. Uh, teach means stuff that's happening uh, as – uh, you know, you're teaching them, you're doing mentoring, anything like that. Teaching is a very wide ranging word. Hmm. Uh, and if you say it's teach and have authority, those two together, I think, are leading up to the elder office. If you say women can't teach, then can't teach men, then you have a real problem in things like Acts 18, where Priscilla and Aquila, it says they correct Apollos, and they're correcting doctrine. Mm-hmm. And the fact they do it together and privately, First uh, Timothy doesn't say, it doesn't say public teaching, it says teaching. And it, it doesn't say without your husband, it just says a woman can't teach. And that would be a contradictory passage to what Priscilla and Aquila do in Acts 18. And then you've got the office of prophet in First Corinthians 14, where women prophets comfort, exhort, edify, encourage. And uh, that would also seem to violate mm-hmm. a literal, if I can use that term, reading of 1 Timothy 2.12. So I, and I, it's a problem passage for me. I'll quickly say that. If I only did 1 Timothy 2.12, I would not have a woman teach men, period, in the church. But that's not the only passage in scripture. If I'm following your logic, so because categorically teaching a woman teaching men because that would contradict what Paul says elsewhere that drives you back to first Timothy two to say, well, either 
Paul's contradict himself, or or maybe there's something going on here in the background that is specific to this situation that Paul's talking about, and then we kind of construct based on historical evidence a, a yeah. certain scenario that that might it'd be akin make sense. to that. But see, what I'm looking at is a combination of words: the teach and have authority. Okay, they're either both positive or both negative. Because right. Paul com- Paul uses pairs of words constantly mm-hmm. that are mutually defining. Let's be peaceful and quiet. You know, those right. are sen- almost synonymous. So teach and have authority would be both positive or both negative. Teach is positive. There's another word, heterodoxin, that would be negative. Okay. So whatever is teach and have authority, that combination is used, not the same words, in 1 Timothy 5 to talk about elders do. So again, I quickly admit that's a problem passage, but I think the two together are okay. talking about elder office does. Uh, but again, it's a problem passage for me. So in essence, you're saying Paul is saying women shouldn't be elders. Um, that's correct. In, and I wish you had been clearer about it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Is there something in Ephesus that Paul's writing to? Like, do we have historical evidence there? I haven't done a lot of background research on on Ephesus in particular, but like, was it was it uh, were they more were women more prone in a sense to be elders in that context? And that's why Paul has to address. We don't know anything about the church in Ephesus. The only only stuff we have are the biblical letters in the first yeah. century. Okay. Uh, but we do know in the Artemis cult and the, uh, some of the other goddess cults in the Greco, in the Greek world there, that women were very much involved in leadership there and yeah. almost uniquely involved okay. in leadership. So there's stuff there. And you know a fair bit about the Artemis cult. Right, right, Just right. from Greek studies. Not the details of organization and such, but yeah. clearly women were the priestesses. We know about the we more know more about Delphi because it's more popular, which okay. is uh, it's a ways away from Ephesus, but they're the same. It's over in in Greece, right. where Ephesus is Turkey, but they're very closely related to each other. Right. I just got done reading a couple different books on women in the Greco-Roman world. One by uh, Lynn Kohick, which is very thorough, and another one um, yeah. I have it somewhere. Anyway, um, and yeah, yeah they they uh, both books showed that in other. Um, cult-like religious practices in the ancient world, a lot of them, it was very common for women to occupy really strong authoritative roles. And so since Christianity was, it wasn't paganism, it was this other thing. And we have examples of other kind of religious things going on that converts to Christianity. It'd be easy for them to model their practices after kind of assumptions after some of these cults. That's correct. Um, I think something like that is going on there that we don't know the details. And often you hear the thing, well, women were not allowed to do anything in in the religious. When the Jewish world, that was largely true, but not in the Greco-Roman world. And even I just came across um, some some archaeological evidence that you have. It's very rare, but a couple examples of of women being described as leaders of the synagogue. Uh, Bernadette Bruton did some work. I have not read the book on something like that. I was kind of shocked to see that again, very rare, but we have some examples, even in Judaism of some women occupying leadership kind of roles. Now, my Um, response there is when you talk about what Jews believe, remember they were just as divided as Baptists are today. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not take Pentecostals into account. (laughs) Okay. So Women can occupy any uh, any position in the church except for elder, preaching, teaching, so Sunday morning, um, rationale. We're not quite sure why. Um, is it rooted in kind of the headship of man in 1 Timothy 5 and 1 Corinthians eleven three? You know, you have, according to one reading, you know, male headship patterned after some kind of Trinitarian relationship where the son freely submits to the father. Um, and I'm not talking about eternal gag me with a spoon. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's not All right, go about for it. Yeah. So, so you're, the, that's, that's not, not the eternal what you're saying. Son. That's the Messiah. What's that? He uses the term Christ there, not son. Okay. The Messiah is submitted to the father. Nobody doubts that okay. to make that a Trinitarian relationship is to misread the passage. I'm talking about my good friend, Bruce Ware, who takes that position, the eternal subordination. And, and I wasn't the saying eternal, that I was saying functional subordination. 
So you so functional subordination, not eternal subordination. Oh yeah. He, yeah, Bruce is not eternal. He's not a subordinationist, though he's charged with that often. Oh, he's not. He's a func- no. He's not a subordinationist. He has a son and and father and spirit all full equal right. in essence, but subordinate in function. Right. I don't agree with his view, but at least you have to mis- you don't misrepresent it. Well, well, that's that's what I thought too. But people accuse him of being what's the heresy. Um, Arian, uh, it's subordination. Well, it's Arianism, right? Him and Wayne Grudem, right? That they, they, they yeah. say, and that's just that's that's slander. <laughs> they're not. They're. I mean, they're not. They affirm repeatedly full equality in the Trinity. Right. Right. It's an equality of essence, a subordination of function. Now, again, I don't agree with it, but at least represent the view correctly. Well, I think some people say, like, I. Well, I don't want to say names because I don't want to misrepresent them, but some yeah. recent books I read on it accused yeah. them of that. Um, but they, they seem to assume if somebody is submitting to somebody else, that is that must be ontological in f- being inferior. I'm like, well, no, that's not the biblical view of exactly. submission doesn't say because you're inferior, therefore you submit. That's that correct. Yeah. I, I submit to Josh Matthews. He's vice president dean at Western Seminary where I teach. I submit to him. I'm probably 40 years older than he is, <laughs> a lot more experience and such, but I still submit to him. He's my boss. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that has nothing to do with essence. It has everything to do with role. Yeah, that's uh, so some of, let me, so the, here, when I read, and this would be more of a critique of some egalitarians, right? when they talk about, you know, the complementarian view and women being subordinated and inferior and all this stuff. And like, uh, they're devalued. And then they go to like creation and say, look, well, when both women and men are created in God's image, therefore women should be able to serve in leadership. And it's like, well, that seems to assume a hierarchical view of That's leadership right. that a leader is more powerful and more authoritative and more um, um, superior. I'm like, but that's a very secular view of, of leadership. Is that, and what, you know, yeah. he, sometimes they talk about submission the same way like a first century Greco-Roman person would. That it's yes. not, not the way yeah. Christianity has kind of turned that vice into yeah. a profound virtue. Is, am I right to kind of... Uh, there are too many egalitarians and too many complementarians that refute a caricature of the other view. Sure. And then assume because they refute a caricature of their view that makes their view right. Yeah. You just don't do that. The fact that I can refute somebody else's view, does even if I'm successful, does not make my view correct. Right. The burden of proof is always on me to show the clear what view accounts for the most biblical data with the fewest difficulties. Yeah. So to go back and say that uh, because women and men are equally in the image of God, uh, nobody debates that. Well, almost nobody debates <laughs> that. That doesn't mean there's not difference in roles in the home. Uh, necessarily. I don't think those roles are outlined in Genesis 1 and 2, but you got some going on in Genesis 3, mm-hmm. where your desire will be for your husband, and I think desire can either good or bad, mm-hmm. and he shall rule over you. Rule can be either good or bad. Mm-hmm. I think the New Testament shows us how to do those things well. If you're in submission, you know that means that you're expressing your desires, your feelings, and deferring in judgment. If you're an authority, it doesn't mean giving commands to people. It means exemplifying, unifying, uh, those kinds of things. Uh, but this idea of authority being, I'm telling people what to do, Jesus and Paul or Peter both clearly refute that idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to get away from this. Authority means to command in the Bible. Authority means to exemplify, to unify to inspire those kinds of things. And now going back to the kind of caricature, I, I would fully agree that functionally a lot of complementarian contexts do have that kind of male superiority spirit, but that's not yes. intrinsic to the view itself or for sure, yeah. obviously it shouldn't be, but functionally. Yeah. yeah I, I, you can critique how the church has gotten off the rails all, all day long and I'd be with you because I've been in many, yeah. too many environments where 
you know, I mean, I don't know if you've, <laughs> I've talked to a lot of uh, female scholars like who, you know, go to ETS and they're constantly asked, you know, so you here with your husband and, and <laughs> like yeah. Lynn, Lynn Kohick and she's, yep. I want her to say she's so yep. humble, but I want her to yep. say, no, I write the textbooks that your husband is reading yes. in seminary. <laughs> yeah. Lynn has some good sarcastic answers for things. She's oh, an amazing man. woman. I'm very glad for her to be around. Yeah. Oh man. She's, or Sandy Richter. I mean, it cracks me up some of the stuff yeah. they have heard at ETS or these conferences. So I agree that there has been an aberration of what I would say is a biblical view of commentarianism, if indeed that is what the scripture teaches. So female prophets, we have clearly in 1 Corinthians 11, 5, Paul says, when you're prophesying, cover your heads. Um, You have examples of female prophets in Acts. In the Old Testament. Old Testament too, yeah. So so would that be... The question of women or prophets, it's not even a debatable point. It's absolutely clear in Scripture. And Tom Schreiner um, admits on this podcast and in other places that that is the the in his mind the biggest hurdle against his complementarian view right. um cuz he has to say that prophets aren't doing anything teaching on a sunday morning or something some equivalent right. um so what would you yeah what would be i mean would, would a, a a teaching pastor be could in the umbrella of prophecy or is prophecy something very well, different again or? the guy that, the person that's teaching on sunday morning to the whole congregation the question is not male female it's elder non elder right in many churches, only elders preach on Sunday morning. Okay. Then a woman would not do it. But if you have non-elders preach on Sunday morning, uh, then there's no reason why a woman couldn't do it, assuming that she wanted to and was gifted and called and that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. So the my example church is here locally, a Bridgetown church that I worked with since it's before its founding. Uh, they have this view. And they've they've had a male elder view, not a male teacher. Male teachers uh, only teachers of can be the teachers can only be male. Right. Male elders only elders can be male, but there can be teachers can be anything. Uh, and so they have Bethany is one of the people who teaches preaches on Sunday morning from time to time, as do other non-elders preach on Sunday morning from time to time as the topic and such is relevant. And I think they do it quite well. What relationship do the household codes and the man being head of the wife? um, A few questions here. One, how do you interpret the Greek word kephale there? Do you see it as authority or source? And what relevance does Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3 have with this women in church leadership ministry question? Are they I think there is a parallel because the family and the church, the church is a family. That metaphor is used right. constantly. And I think there is a parallel between those two. And I do think there's a different role in the home. But what I do when I look at the marriage customs, I say, what is the actual command? The husband is never, ever commanded to man up and be head in the home. Hmm. It, that's not the command. The command is to love your wife by giving up your privileges mm-hmm. to love your wife by nurturing and cherishing her. So men focus on what the Bible commands you to do. Don't focus on what the Bible describes to the woman where it says there for the husband's head of the wife, not head of the home. It does say that, but it says to the woman as a base thing. So for you to take that as a command, I got a man up and take control of my home. You're violating what scripture says. Mm-hmm. What says love by giving up your privileges for your sake of your wife and family as Christ gave his privileges to become Messiah. Yeah. Do you but see- there is a different role between love and submit, I would say. Okay. So, so those are, you would say a, a man is, how do you, how do you unpack that? The, the, the metaphor of being a head, head of the wife. Oh, uh, if you look in Ephesians, Ephesians one, right at the end of the chapter, yeah. it talks about Christ being head over the demonic powers. Mm-hmm. That's an authority. Right. Word. Without question, you go back and look at Septuagint, Kephale is commonly used for an authority role. Okay. Uh, it's also used in Ephesians 4, and to em- achieve the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, who is head, and head there is used as nurturing leader. Mm. Uh, the word source that's so often applied there in the word use of Kephale the uh, the kephale of a river is not 
uh, the end of the river, where the river goes into the ocean, it's where the river begins up in the Rocky Mountains. So if I think of the Columbia River, the Kefalay of the river is up in the Canadian Rockies. It's not at Astoria where the river runs in. Because we think of source. Sorry, I said it exactly backward. <laughs> the Kefalay is Astoria, not the Rocky Mountain. It's not the spring or reservoir where the river begins. It's the end of the river, not the beginning of the river. So that would be that would so the, so the use of kephale in Ephesians four, you're saying, is better understood as source. Christ is ahead of it's, the body. I would say as nurturing. Okay. So you say source, you're into this thing because we think, well, the woman comes from the man, and that's actually not the way kephale is used. Okay. Uh, the the. And what's happened there, and the thing that's a problem is people say it never means authority, it means source. That's just... And that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that seems so forced. It clearly carries authority in many cases, including Ephesians. And the exact meaning of source, uh, I think it's, I think there's a nurturing thing there in Ephesians 4, which is the key meaning there in Ephesians in the context. So in Ephesians 5.23, how would you render that then? Authority or or nurture or... I I think at that point the uh you're to submit means I think there is a leadership role for the okay. husband. And submission does not mean do what you're told and smile. That's the caricature. My example of submission is what you see with Jesus in the garden. And he's in the garden, and the first thing he does is my soul is anguished unto death. He is pouring out his feelings mm-hmm. to the Father and to his friends. And he says, Take this cup from me. He's giving his desires to his father and to his friends. And then he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's giving his trust. So submission, whether it's me to Josh Matthews or on a marriage, is submission means give your feelings, your desires, and your trust to the one who's in this leadership role. Okay. That's not do what you're told and smile. That's a that's a right. caricature. A yeah. biblical, just like Bible turns authority upside down, it turns submission upside down. Right, right, right. And so what about when people say that passage really begins in 521 with mutual submission and there is no verb, the verbs being filled in there implied, yep. it's submit to one another in love, wives yep. to your husbands. So do you think that, what keep do you think reading, about the argument keep reading, that... Keep reading. What are the next two examples? Of what? Submit, oh yeah, slave or chil- sla- children and then slaves. Yeah. And children to parents. Right, is right. that mutual submission? Yeah, exactly. Nobody argues those are mutual right. submission. Right. I don't think it is in, in husbands' wives. Everybody is in submission to somebody. There's nobody who's without accountability. Okay. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be in submission, even when you disagree. And he gives three examples of what authority and submission looks like. Yeah. And the first example is a marriage. The husband has his leadership role by loving, by giving up his privileges for his wife and family, and by nurturing and cherishing them so they feel nurtured and cherished. And the wife submits and respects, uh, and then slaves and masters, and then children and parents. It's not mutual submission. I mean, it just doesn't work. Keep reading. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... that. I, there's parts of me that it kind of feels a little abrasive, especially in 2022. Um, but it's like, I, I want to make sure I understand what the text is saying first. And then right. I, I'm the one that has to deal with it, whatever. But like, yeah, I, I, the mutual submission, husbands are never commanded to submit to your wives, right? That is right. unique to the wife-husband relationship there. It is interesting, though, that husbands love your wives. And certainly wives are also to love their husbands, Sure. He's he's addressing what's hard to do, I think. Yeah. For a husband to love your wife as Christ loves the church means give up your privilege for the sake of your wife and children, or an elder to love the church by giving up your privileges to serve and nurture and cherish the people you're responsible for in the church. Those are the same kinds of leadership mm-hmm. roles, it seems to me. I think there is a parallel between elders and husbands there. Okay. Okay. So there is a some kind of relationship between Ephesians five. Some and, kind. And, okay. Yeah. Okay. But and, I don't and, and again, more. rationale, you don't, it's just like, I'm not sure why God gave that unique command to women and not to yeah. uh, husbands. Um, I, God didn't explain. And okay. I mean, I, I want to know and he didn't explain. Okay. I'll trust you. The one thing that is, and this is something I came across years ago is when I read 
um, Ephesians 5 in light of other very similar passages in the Greco-Roman world all the way back to Aristotle. And mm-hmm. Paul's modeling what he's saying off of these other household codes in the Roman world is a very familiar genre, but man, he guts, totally guts this thing from the inside yeah. out. You would yeah. never um, yeah. have that kind of mutual, let's just say mutual giving up of yourself. Right. Even if you say the yeah. word submission yeah. is only given to wives there, yeah. there is a profound giving up of yourself that's correct mutually which you do not find anywhere in the greco-roman world in these household codes so um and see coming back to the church it's the same thing mm. the leadership role of elder is a giving equipping exemplifying serving kind of thing it's not a privilege and authority to tell people what to do thing right and the problem is we bring that model into our discussions of women in leadership, we assume authority means telling people what to do. And that just messes things up from day one. Hmm. You're saying only men can tell people what to do. I'm saying nobody gets to tell other people what to do in that kind of cold authoritarian way. Yeah. What you're doing, you're taking on a responsibility. We just installed three elders in our church on Sunday. And because I'm the eldest elder, I get to lead this process. And we handed these three men, married men, a towel that they hung on their arm to simplify that you're going to be washing really dirty feet. And it's going to be awful. And then a glass and they drank the the symbol of the Holy Spirit. I wish it were wine, but in our case, it was grape juice. Uh, and they drank it deeply because that emphasizes you need the power of the Holy Spirit to serve in this kind of way. Mm. See, it's about responsibility, not telling people what to do. It's joining a team. It's not. It's not me being the boss. Interesting. So I want to come back to yeah. that biblical picture of leadership is at least as important as who gets to be there. And I do think it's married men. Right. Um, apostles. Is there any relevance to the fact that there's the original at least twelve apostles were all uh, men? That is really interesting, isn't it? There are women disciples. There are no women apostles. Yeah. If Jesus were egalitarian, he would have had women apostles, I think. But I can't bank too much on that. Well, and so, and some people would say, well, he, he certainly pushed culture, you know, pretty as far as he can go. But he still that would have been too much, uh, like too much at that time. Nah, garbage. He well, got I think crucified it's crucified for pushing culture. Yeah. <laughs> and having women disciples at the level he did, yeah. having Mary Magdalene anoint his feet with, you know, he was. That would not have stopped him if he really thought that women should be an equal role of leadership, I think. Yeah. I can't build much out of that because it never explains the why. And apostles and elders are different offices. Okay. But it's interesting to me that there are no men among the 12. But then they'll have the same women. Yeah. You'll have the same people to turn around and say, well, Junia is an apostle. I'm like, wait a minute. So Paul has more more guts than Jesus does in pushing culture? (laughs) Apostles not limited to men. Yeah. With the, I think the capital A apostles are men because that's the ones that Jesus did. Yeah. And then Paul coming out of that. But uh, apostle in terms of empowered messenger, I have no problem at all with that being a woman. Okay. And Junior probably is one of those. Okay. So there's some debate about that. So, yeah. And some people say that, you know, the 12, because the 12 apostles clearly are being modeled on the 12 tribes and the 12 tribes come from 12 sons. Um, but I, 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 I I can see that, but again, the New Testament and Jesus, they don't have any problem kind of taking a an image in the Old Testament and flipping it around too and playing with exactly. it. So Jesus, yeah, exactly. I, I think if he smuggled in a few women apostles, I think that would have fit the kind of like trajectory of scripture. I don't think he's yeah. he's he's handcuffed to the 12 male tribe. Right. Yeah, tribal he's heads. not. I don't know. He's not in my judgment. But the thing is, same thing happening again, married men mm-hmm. is the role. Uh, for elder and the two job description come from two entirely different cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't like it, but okay, that's the job description. I can't, and I, the thing is to come as close to the job description as possible. Mm-hmm. I was talking with a guy from inner city of Philadelphia a while back and we're talking and we were asking, okay, now how do you do church in inner city? I mean, this is extreme poverty, very violent area and that kind of stuff. And it's very interesting. I mean, he's very wise. And we we're listening to him. And I said, "Well, how, what does leadership in a church look at?" He said, "Well, I've got, I'm the I'm I'm a pastor, but I'm a part of a team of of four elders. Uh, it's me and three women." 
He says, wait a minute, I thought you said you're a complementarian. He says, I am. But you said you got three women elders. Yep. They're the closest job description. My most mature man is two weeks out of rehab. <laughs> you know, you come as close as you can. But uh, now in my church, we have no trouble having qualified married men. But if I'm in a church where that wasn't possible, I would come as close as possible. What I can't do is change a job description. So do you think there could be some cultural situations where there would be exceptions that you could have female yes. like in that case? Okay. Yes. Yes. But you don't change a job description. Okay. And you come as close as possible to the job description. Because I'll say right up front, there ain't no such thing as a qualified elder. You look at that list. I'm too dang quarrelsome to fit on any elder team. But I've been an elder for like 40 years. <laughs> Okay, what about 1 Corinthians 14, the women, the women keep silent uh, passage? Um, oh. Any thoughts on that? That's yeah. a weird passage. Well, every, it... Everybody, everybody, everybody agrees that that's something weird because 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about women praying and prophesying. Right. The idea that women can't talk in the church, there's something going on there. And uh, I, I mean, the one idea is uh, Don Carson says that that's judging of prophets. And only elders could do that, so it'd only be men. I don't think that's correct, but Dom is a pretty wise guy. <laughs> I actually think that maybe Sam Storms has it better for a woman to bear down publicly on a man who's not her husband is embarrassing in a public context and maybe just lighten up. The other thing is Cindy Westfall, another good friend of mine, hmm. suggests this is chatty women that they're just chattering all the time. I mean, we don't know what it is, but it, clearly that's something going on unique in Corinth. This is not a command for women to be silent in the church because it'd be a direct contradiction to 1 Corinthians 11. Right, right. And earlier in the chapter, mm -hmm. where prophets speak powerfully and prophets are women. And in that, this is in my reading on women in the Greco-Roman world, um, yeah. they said it was really common, a common assumption that if a woman spoke over her husband, spoke over another man, that that was seen as so shameful and yes. almost even like the people would assume you're sexually promiscuous too. Like non-silent women were viewed as being sexual. So, so there's certain cultural things going on there that it'd be like saying, telling women, you know, don't, you know, you're in Saudi Arabia, women should, do not wear blue jeans. You know, it's like, well, there's certain cultural reasons that some signals yeah. that would send in that culture, um, but yeah. it, it wasn't like an absolute kind of statement. Um, that's the argument Sam Storms make. Okay. And I, that's probably the best explanation. There's something in the Greco Roman right. culture for a woman to do whatever you're describing there was just not okay. Right. So don't in that context, but it clearly is not universal. And he says, go ask your husband. So, I mean, it's, it's not all women anyway. It's just married women. <laughs> Something weird is going on. There is. There. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Everybody agrees. If you yeah. try to make that a general thing, it's not. And I agree that like, but that's, that, that it's a problem passage for anybody, um, except maybe the f super far strict hardcore commentarians that I, were li women literally do not I, open their mouths. I've been church. around Pete. I was, I have a friend who was a part of a church where women were not allowed to speak in the gathered assemblies of Plymouth Brethren. Oh, yeah. And in their, in their gathering where they sit before the Lord, women aren't allowed to speak, only men. I went to a brother in church in Aberdeen. It was kind of a post-brethren, but some of the old school people there explained to yep. me so the hardcore brother in churches yep. that they were raised in. Yeah, women do not open their mouth yep. during a gathering. Um, yep. Yeah, wow. That's, that's crazy. What other questions do I have? <laughs> I mean, there's so much out there. Have you, have you, yeah. did you spend a season of your, your your career like really digging into this and what was oh, that yeah. like? Yeah, I've been on the steering committee for we used to call it evangelicals and gender at Evangelical Theological Society. We changed it to evangelicals and women now. I've been on that steering committee since it formed. Oh like, wow! Okay. Back in the nineties. Okay. And I just cycled off it. So I'm an old man now, uh -huh. but still active and working with the folk there. In uh, so that's been a discussion we've been having. I've read widely. Okay. Uh, I've talked to a lot of different people from just about every camp yeah. and spent a lot of time in scripture. Yeah. I, I've kind of quit reading some of the current stuff, like so much stuff in politics, it's polarizing now. Yeah. And there's, there's a new movement 
that I'm really unhappy with that in the name of Jesus are describing men as toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just think that's helpful. In the same way, there's a far right that's saying all women, the egalitarians, all of them are, uh, and they become caricatures of each other. And I just, no, yeah. let's be respectful. Read the best of the other of you. Talk to people live. Name them. Don't argue with them over social media kind of thing. Yeah. We've got to be respectful in this discussion. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's helpful to for people to eat on both sides to say all egalitarian the egalitarian view is a departure from scripture. It's all uh, basically a result of feminism and vice versa. You know, all commentarians all, are patriarchal, are authoritarian, yep, and all this stuff. It, they yeah. they say it's intrinsic to the view itself, and I just I don't. It's just not true. You're dealing with fringia on both sides. Don't deal with the character. Read the best representation of other views. Talk to them live. Name them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this argument by caricature is not helpful to anybody. It's against the word of Jesus. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Who do you think are some of the best representations on each each side? You've you've mentioned a few. Yeah. Well, egalitarian. uh, I mean, Millard Erickson. You know, former president of Evangelical Theological Society, he's egalitarian, very wise. Cindy Westfall teaches up in Toronto. Amazing woman, good scholar. Her Paul on gender book, I think, I don't agree with stuff. I mean, she told me, read my book, it'll kick you over the edge. Well, I read her book, it didn't kick me over the edge, but she's still a great scholar. Yeah. Uh, Lynn Coick, you mentioned her. She's a good scholar in these areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Uh, Keener. Keener. When I read Keener. Keener. Yeah, yeah, Craig Keener. Outstanding. Yeah. Uh, Craig is... Uh, just a again, former Evan, former president of Evangelical Theological Society. You can't say they're loose on Scripture. Goodness, they're leaders yeah. in Scripture. Yeah. Uh, from the from the male teacher view, I think Tom Schreiner is is really good. Bruce Ware is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what are some other names? Are not coming off the top of my head. Andres Kostenberger. Yeah. Is another one. He's a Midwestern now. Uh, there there are good spokespeople. I, I don't have a woman's name in my head. Beth Moore was a male teacher. I think she moved over to male elder now. I don't know her at all, but I had a, I had one of her close associates in a class of mine a while back, and she absolutely Beth is a male teacher. She said women could not should not teach men. Hmm. And I said, but men come to her conference. She says that's fine, but she's teaching women. If men horn in, that's their problem, not hers. <laughs> I think she's changed. But yeah. she's still complementarian. Yeah. From male elder view, you know, I there, Craig Blomberg and his two views on women in ministry is there. Tim and Kathy Keller are there. They've been there since 1989 at least. Oh, they uh, the, that they hold the same view that you that yeah. you do? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't know whether Keller would have women preaching on Sunday morning, but they expressed in an article they wrote in 1989 about elders being men and the offices being open to any gender. Okay. And they've continued to promote that quietly. And they're going against PCA denominational norms when they do that, which is really interesting. So they would say women can teach on, on, on a Sunday morning? No, I don't know that. Oh. I don't know if they'd say women can preach. Oh, okay. okay. They would say that elder is the office limited to males and that women can teach men say, in a Sunday school class or something. Okay. I don't know if they would have them teaching on Sunday morning. Of course, they're retired now. Do, do, you, do you find it interesting that even the phrase teaching and preaching, biblically, as far as I understand, uh, the Greek word for preaching, caruso, really has to do with almost announcing the gospel, kind of evangelism. Absolutely. Which, and didaskale, didaskale? Didaskain or didasko. Didasko. The, the to teach that that's really the instructing the congregation for lack of better yeah. terms that's the word yeah. but when we describe that as pre preaching it's almost like we flip that around we think preaching yep. is kind of the sunday morning thing when yep. that's really just any anybody regardless of gender yep. should be able to tell people who jesus is that's but that's exactly that's carusoing that's that's yeah. preaching um yeah, this is one of those many places where the biblical word and the English word do not have the same meaning. Right. And there are a lot of places like that. The word grace in English means, come on, show me a little grace. You yeah. pass on sin. That is never the meaning yeah. of Scripture. Grace is help given to the needy. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, preaching, we made that Sunday morning thing. And when in scripture, that's what the women do when they come back and tell the disciples he's risen. Well, that's right. proclaiming, that's Caruso. Right, right, right. Um, th- what about the, um, there's all these arguments, I guess, more f- on the egalitarian side of like, you know, you clearly you have women owning homes, uh, Lydia in, uh, and then you have Acts, what, 12, Mary, John Mark's mother, I believe, um, and others. And in that culture, the home owner was kind of the authority over whoever nope. was in her home. Nope. Um, nope. Is that, don't buy it. am I, I representing that argument well first? And That's then the argument say, they're making. I don't buy the argument though. Why? Or what's the evidence they give the for that? The fact that, that somebody owns a home and is host to the home does not mean they're the boss in the home, so to speak. That's what I always thought, but what, where, where the, is that? The, are they assuming that, or is there some evidence? I, that... I think they're. Uh, my judgment is they're over arguing their case. Okay. And they're assuming that because the woman is the patron of the home, therefore she's the the authoritative leader of the home, kind of thing. Okay. And I just I think you're over arguing the case. Another um, kind of assu- an argument that comes with some assumptions, and I, I need to dig into the history is you know, Phoebe, the letter carrier of Rome and letter carriers not only represented the author of the letter, but sometimes they would explain, you know, the letter to the recipient. That's not in scripture. <laughs> You're trying to bring in background that's squishy at best. Really? I mean, it's just not there. The fact that she is, well, first of all, it doesn't say she's the one who carried the letter. She's the first one mentioned. She's a deacon. Uh, but it doesn't say she carried the letter to Rome. She's just the first one listed there. Mm. And even if she did carry the letter, that wouldn't make her the authoritative explainer of the letter. I mean, just you're pushing it too hard, mm. seems to me. Okay. I just don't think the case stands very well. You got to make a better case than that. Yeah. Um, and then you have, you know, all throughout the Gospels, women being valued or even like, um, absolutely Mary Magdalene, you know, going and this is another one that I just didn't, didn't really seem convincing. And I talked to, I think Beth Allison Barr about it, Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, Mary Magdalene in in church history is considered the apostle to the apostles because she's the one that carried the good news. But I'm like, that just doesn't, that, that doesn't mean she's an elder. That doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Like they can draw that. Because, I mean, you could take the most, and I use the example off the top of my head, like if you're in a really conservative Baptist church and a super commentarian and some secretaries of the church, female secretaries were downtown and all of a sudden the Pope shows up and then they go back to the church and say, hey, I want to let you know that the Pope is here. We should go. No one's going to say, be silent, woman. Who are you to preach at us? It's like, but they're just carrying information. Like that doesn't seem to parallel like a th- yeah. teaching on a Sunday morning or whatever, however we want to frame it. See, again, um, the key, from my view, the key thing is the office of elder. It's not value or voice. Okay. Women's value is unquestioned in scripture. Right. Women's voice, in my judgment, is unquestioned in the New Testament, especially. That women's voice is critically important is it's critically important, just as the voice of other non-elders is critically important in life and decision-making of the church. That doesn't mean they carry the responsibility of the office of elder. To me, that's the key difference. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, one more. Well, you, yeah, you might okay. have already said it, but what's the? I always like to ask people, what's the? What do you think is is the best argument against your view? Like, what's the oh, one? First that, Timothy two twelve. Yeah. Okay. Without a doubt, I mean that's the killer to my view. Uh, it's it's a strong argument against. The other would be that the tradition of the church, throughout the whole history of the church, is the authoritative leadership of the church, with yeah. some exceptions, has been men. I. Uh, and uh, so that that's a strong argument against my view. On the egalitarian side, uh, the best argument against my view, it seems to me, uh, is the idea that I'm making uh, elder a unique office and I'm discounting the fact that women prophets, women apostles. Mm. If Jesus couldn't be an elder, like how high a qualification do you make? I mean, those are good arguments. They really are. I don't think they're persuasive, but they're they're strong arguments. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's not like I win the case dead cold. I don't. Right. Good and godly people connect the dots in different ways. But whatever you do, you come out. Don't make men toxic and don't make women second rate citizens. Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. 
Good one to end on there, Gary. Thank you so much okay. for coming on the show. Um, yep. Yeah, appreciate it. I, I, you've given us a lot to think about as I'm really wrestling through all this. <laughs> well, if you go to my website, brashears.net, I've got a link on there to Women in Leadership, okay. and there's a whole bunch more resources there if people want to go further. Great, great. Awesome. I'll put the link in the show notes. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Take care, Thanks. friend. Thanks, friend. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.